0: you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, people call it uh, one of the most dramatic moments in New Orleans Saints history. September 25th, 2006, the third game in the regular season, And the first game that the New Orleans Saints have played at home in a long, long while. As the Saints uh, take the field that night, everyone remembers why. Everyone remembers Hurricane Katrina. This massive Category 5 storm, and you probably know how the story goes. Levees are breached, trees are down, 80% of the city is left underwater. And that's why a little over a year earlier, no one would have thought that a game like this would actually be possible. You see, that's not the only reason uh, that this is such an incredible night. And that's because the Saints also have a perfect 2-0 record. And while they're facing steep competition, one of their biggest rivals, they've actually got a chance here. And everyone seems to know it. That brings us uh, to this scene early in the first quarter. You see the opposing team has just sent their kicker out onto the field. It's fourth down, and they got a turnover possession. And the way this is supposed to work is that their kicker kicks the ball way down the field so that the Saints can't score in the end zone behind them. But on this particular night, that's not exactly what happens. You see, everyone lines up. The ball is snapped kicked and then blocked in an absolutely incredible play by new orleans saint steve gleason and then moments later his team recovers the ball scores the touchdown and the crowd goes wild and it's not just because it's an incredible play it's not because it's a a season setting trend it's because this is the first score in the first game in the city of new orleans since hurricane katrina and this is why the city of New Orleans loves him. Steve Gleason, uh, a letter reads, Beneath a statue just outside the stadium, was responsible for one of the most dramatic moments in New Orleans Saints history, a block punt that kick-started the season and symbolized the rebirth of New Orleans. You know, and this love affair that the two of them have, it isn't just a one-way affair. That's why nine years later, ten years after Hurricane Katrina, Steve Gleason, recently diagnosed with ALS, writes a love letter to the city of New Orleans. Many people say that the saints in 2006 gave hope to the people of New Orleans. Steve writes, I see it differently. When I blocked the punt on Monday night with the world watching, I was buoyed by a stadium and a city full of Preposterous, hair brained unyielding, and passionate people. We call them hoodats. Then he concludes this way. I helped win the first playoff game in Saints history. I have a Super Bowl ring and a nine-foot statue outside of my old office, the Superdome. But what I enjoy most about New Orleans is its residence. Love y'all. Steve, a New Orleanian. I want to consider uh, what a day like today means for all of us. I, uh, I can't help but think of uh, Steve Gleason in the city of New Orleans, uh, because the kind of relationship they have, it's the kind of relationship that every pastor wants to have with a congregation. And it is uh, the kind of relationship that I have uh, enjoyed for the past five years with all of you. And that's why when I uh, had to choose a reading for today. I chose the reading uh, I just read to you from St. Paul's letter uh, to the Philippians. What you need to know about the Philippians and St. Paul is that just like Steve Gleason and the city of New Orleans, there's a whole lot of love and affection. For just a moment, I want you to consider how their relationship got started. See, the year's uh, 51 AD, and if you're Paul, you just left modern-day Turkey, crossed the Aegean Sea, And made your way onto mainland Europe for the first time ever. And it's an exciting moment, the first time the gospel has truly traveled west. And as you wake your way up to Philippi, a little over 10 miles from shore, your missionary instinct tells you to find a local synagogue and then begin meeting with Jewish residents. You see, Philippi isn't like uh, other cities that you've been to before. It's a Roman colony, and while there's a relatively small Jewish contingent, mostly a handful of women, it's not enough people to have a synagogue here. And that's why the Jews in Philippi actually worship about a mile west of town, down by the Gangites River, and that's also why early one Saturday morning, you make your way out to them. Because God has called you here to share the good news about Jesus. You know, while people uh, often receive you uh, well, these people immediately believe. I mean, they receive your message with joy, and it's it's very evident that the spirit's at work among them. And of all the people you meet, that couldn't be more true of this woman named Lydia. I mean, she's convinced, ready to take action. Will you baptize me? That's what she says to you. And not just me, but but my whole family. And as soon as you do, then she's inviting you over. And while you're reluctant at first, don't want to give people the wrong impression, she insists. I won't take no for an answer. And quite honestly, uh, that's the experience you have again and again in the city of Philippi. Uh, These people just won't take no for an answer. I mean, consider this. A few days later, you're arrested and thrown in jail. People are upset that you're casting out demons. But while you're there, a miracle happens. And then the jailer looks at you and says, what must I do to be saved? And no sooner... Does that happen? Then you're baptizing him. He's bandaging up your wounds, and he's inviting you over. I mean, these people are just so incredible. But now if you're Paul, it's ten years later. You're under house arrest in the city of Rome. And while you're lucky, I mean, they could have uh, locked you away in some wretched Roman prison. The guards who wait outside your door, they're not there to make sure that you got things like food and shelter, and so if you're Paul, you're hoping that someone, anyone, will come and take care of you, and that's exactly what your friends do from Philippi. They send you food, they send you water, they send you money, they send you one of their own, a guy named Epaphroditus, and he stays with you and makes sure that you have everything you need. And it's out of love and affection for a relationship like this. Paul writes a letter to them. I thank my God, he says. I thank my God every time I remember you for our partnership in the gospel. As you can probably imagine, uh, over the past few weeks, I've been thinking a whole lot about my time here at St. Andrew. I mean, I still remember the first time uh, that I visited uh, back in June, a little over five years ago. You see, Andrew and I are uh, heading north on New Hampshire Avenue, and then I, I look to the left. I see uh, the blue roof and golden spires on top of St. Andrew, and I wonder, why on earth would a Lutheran seminary send a brand new pastor to a Ukrainian Orthodox church? <laughs> Well, you know, in all seriousness, uh, what I've been thinking about is, is our partnership in the ministry. You know, as Paul puts it, uh, from the first day until now. And so I've been thinking about, you know, Wednesday nights at Common Ground. I've been thinking about uh, Tuesday mornings and a men's Bible study. I've been thinking about uh, giving high fives to preschoolers as they show up every morning to school or as we get together for chapel. For, for the three times I've got to join the youth here on trips to work camp. And then there's... All the Sundays and Monday nights. And then you got the weddings and the funerals, uh, getting together for lunch, getting together for dinner, getting together in my office. I mean, over the past five years, there has been a whole lot of ministry. And as I've been thinking about uh, what I'd want to say on a day like this, so the first thing that comes to mind uh, are the words that Paul uses to open his letter to the Philippians I thank my God. And I, uh, I thank my God for, for all of you, because uh, part of the pastor whom I've uh, become and am becoming is because of all of you. thank my God because of your passion for mission, the way you care about others, and, and quite honestly, the way that sometimes you guys just don't take no for an answer. And over the past five years, I've, uh, I've really seen incredible things happen uh, because of who you are and who God has made you become. And it's been uh, such a privilege and a joy to be a part of that, to serve as your pastor. You know, the second thing that comes into mind uh, as I think about a day like this is what it means to partner in ministry. Because every partnership has a beginning, and every partnership in ministry has an end. You know, today is uh, one of those ends. And as hard as it is, I mean, I'm going to miss all of you. I'm reminded that that you never get to a new beginning without going through an end first. And while today means uh, an end that brings a new beginning in my ministry, what I realize is that today also represents an end that will bring a new beginning in your ministry here. You know, that's not just because uh, you're getting rid of a bald pastor who can't eat gluten. (laughs) Welcome, Pastor Rico. it's because the ministry we share, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. You know, uh, that's why I'm excited. I mean, I'm excited to serve in another place, sure, but I'm also excited for all of you uh, because I know what God is capable of in a place like this. I've seen it for, for five years, and whether that's something in Howard County or an Ethiopian service or the calling of another pastor or something we can't even imagine, I'm really excited to see what happens. Uh, because God has this way of always working, and he has this special way of, of working through all of you. Now, I couldn't uh, preach on Reformation without giving at least a little nod uh, to Martin Luther. And uh, this past week, I uh, was taken aback by something he wrote in the early days of the Reformation. See, there was a tradition in the Catholic Church in Luther's day uh, to identify and name different heresies after their leader. And that's how, believe it or not, uh, Lutheranism actually got its name as the name of a heresy. And it was uh, first used as a derogatory term uh, for followers, eventually the followers of this little movement uh, began to take it up and use it as well. And it was in response to this that Luther writes a little pamphlet to Christians everywhere. I ask, he says, that my name be left silent and people not call themselves Lutherans, but rather Christians. Who is Luther? He goes on. The doctrine is not mine. I've been crucified for no one. Therefore, let us extinguish all factious names and be called Christians after Christ, who alone is our master. So one of the things uh, that the Reformation reminds us is that the ministry we share, it's not about us. It never is. The ministry we share is about Jesus. And on a day like today, I actually uh, give a whole lot of thanks uh, for that. Uh, Because whether it's a new beginning or a fond farewell, the time we share, the hope we have, the life we live, it's always about Jesus. Jesus. You know, while it's uh, harder than I ever imagined to say goodbye to all of you, uh, I take comfort in the fact that we never really do say goodbye as Christians. We say, see you later. And so may God bless you as uh, he begins something new here in this place. And perhaps it's new for the very first time, uh, but as it happens, he invites you, as he always does, to invite you to follow him into a future that is always Wide, wide open. God bless you, Saint Andrew. Amen. And now may the peace of God who surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.